This is a Sunday talk by Todd Corbett, titled Resting in Impermanence, recorded October 25th, 2009, at the Center for Sacred Sciences in Eugene, Oregon. So I have a quote for you from the Buddha regarding impermanence. He says, The world is like a star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom and a dream. He is describing something which is inconceivable to us. It's inconceivably impermanent, our world. But we do not actually experience it. And this is the cause of our suffering. Impermanence, if it is truly seen, is a horror to us. It is frightening to see. The paradox here lies in our conceptual understanding of it. We think we know what impermanence is. We come to terms with it. We recognize that, you know, things get old, they wear out, we get gray hair, wrinkles, and eventually we die. But these are stories. And though they are representations, they are not the truth. And it is holding to them as truth that constitutes our suffering. We cling to goals, possessions, we cling to the stories of our life. Me. In the Dhammapada, the Buddha tells us there is blindness all around. Very few can see. Many are like birds trapped in a net, while few escape and achieve liberation. This blindness is active ignoring and denial. Catherine of Siena, a Christian mystic of the 14th century, tells us the same thing, basically. She says, They do not see except with blind eyes, since their desire is fixed on passing things, and so they are deceived and act like fools. What keeps us blind is beliefs in passing things, just as she said. Even the belief in impermanence. Blind belief in stories is driven by fear. Fear. And hope. Hope to get away from the fear. <laughs> Fear of impermanence. Fear of non-existence. And hope for existence and happiness 
and continuation. We ignore our enlightened nature through this process, moment to moment, creating the story of I and all of these beliefs. Striving creates a sense of emotional self-existence, moment by moment. So this feeling that we have right now, the sense of me, it's something that has been put in place through this constant striving. Belief in self-existence is the linchpin of all belief, the sense of me. And from that, we create all the rest. Now, I'm not saying that the conventional stories that we have in our world of form are really an issue or a problem. But it is what is driving that sense of me, that sense of need that makes all of these stories become real to us. You know, the story itself is not a problem. It's the belief that it is really me. That it's really me. And whenever our beliefs are not quite strong enough, or convincing enough, fear arises. It's a very, it's a, it's a built-in process. When our beliefs start to fall away a little bit, this feeling of fear arises, and striving picks up again accelerates, picks up its pace, fills in the space. The story of me is not just a story. It is the emotional drive that is mostly what's at play here. The emotional sense of me. And these emotions, then, are the source of our false sense of reality and our inability to see this naked impermanence, which is always showing itself. At some point in our life, and it's usually after we've been through you know, all of the trials and tribulations of our youth, and as we get a little older, we start noticing that we're not actually attaining the happiness that we seem to be striving for. We start to notice a sense of, wow, something's missing. And we feel it. It's palpable. This is an emotional sense. Our hope is not strong enough. It's not giving us what we feel we need. No matter how hard we strive, work. And we begin to notice this at some point. If we're blessed, if we're fortunate. Some folks go their whole lives. They don't notice this. Just, it's a constant struggle right up until the grave. But if we're fortunate, we notice this. And this is the beginning of seeing impermanence. We are beginning to see it. Notice 
It's a feeling. It's not an idea so much. It's a feeling that we have. We, we begin to feel this sense of being unfulfilled. And this is very, very helpful for us. It may feel depressing. But whatever it is, if we are paying attention and we are willing to honor what we feel, often we end up moving into some form of religion, some, some form of looking into the mystery of our life. So we're, again, this is that sense of impermanence that is coming into our lives. We're realizing that we're not in control, that there is something more powerful at play here. And so we are willing to go into some kind of a religion. And religion is very useful because it presents us with beliefs which are not materialistic, which do not really support all of the ideas in the material world, and they show us a little bit of our, our nature as something that is uh, not the center of the universe. It's good to see that. And so the beliefs that are laid down and just organized, you know, mainstream religion can be very helpful for reorienting our awareness. But oftentimes the problem we develop is that we get stuck in those beliefs. And they too are beliefs. And they obstruct the true reality. So then, if we're not satisfied then with even the beliefs of the spiritual teachings or the, the church or whatever, then we move into something more real, which is a contemplative tradition of some kind, either Christian, Buddhism, Hindu, Muslim, they're all really the same. They have different trappings, but ultimately they are directing attention to look more closely into this moment to see what is actually here. So if we are lucky, then we are drawn into a, a contemplative tradition and we begin to pay attention. As we take up a meditation practice, either you know, just a, a Buddhist meditation or contemplative prayer, we begin to discover many things that we never saw before because we were so busy with our stories. We were not listening to the reality we were creating our own reality and imposing it on the world. As we begin to see this more and more, we develop more commitment to doing these practices because we realize, wait a minute, there's something really powerful here and I've been missing it my whole life. So this commitment begins to move deeply and we began to practice, develop a practice of meditation daily, and take on precepts or some kind of a moral code to try to bring this into the moment-to-moment -moment experience of our daily life. 
And as we do these practices in this way, we train the attention to be stable. It stabilizes. It's no longer scattered and running all over the place. It's stabilized. It's it's actually able to be present with what's happening just now. You know, like with the practice that we did right at the beginning, we were just hanging out with the moment-to-moment sensations of breathing. The mind has a thousand other agendas it would love to do, but here we are. We're just resting in this moment-to-moment sensation of breathing. And if our commitment is strong, we have no difficulty doing this. It's a simple practice. If our commitment is not strong, it is all over the place. It is running off into thought, constantly running away. But what's interesting about this is that if we actually do the practice, we begin to discover that our commitment will become deeper as we do this practice. It's a very it's a it's an organic process. Because as we continue to return to the breathing from our, whenever we start to think, we return, and it happens again, and we return. Eventually, we develop a very stable mindfulness, awareness of where our attention is in every moment, as it's happening. And with that comes commitment. Because we start to see, once again, the depth of this mystery that we are. And that something here that is just, it's amazing that we could, that we could not have noticed all of these years. The depth and the richness of what our life actually is, that we are starting to see now with this meditation. So in the beginning, we, we practice, it's like training a little puppy dog. It's a great metaphor because puppy dog is always running away. That's what our attention does. We just keep, you know, come on back, come on back, sit, sit, stay, stay. And then it runs away and then we go, no, 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 come back over here. Now, sit, stay. This is what we do with meditation. At first, until that commitment moves in, and then once the commitment is there, don't need to do that anymore. So once we really develop a committed attention to what's arising, and we start doing this regularly, our emotions, the emotions that drive the story of I, that drive all of the beliefs in our life, those emotions are now available to be seen nakedly. We can actually rest our attention into the sensation of the experience of emotion. Now it's interesting because we have, a, we have in the beginning of practice, we, we have a vastly rich source of emotions. Just seeing a little bit more into the nature of impermanence, we see we're losing everything moment to moment. When we start to glimpse that, tremendous emotions move in 
and attention moves into stories immediately. It can't bear it. But with, with, this, with this committed attention, we see that process. We see that how that is happening. We're just watching this mind. Suddenly we see everything is just arising and passing away. Everything. We start to glimpse this. And suddenly we feel the hair stand up on the back of our neck. And we get goosebumps. And we, get our, we can feel our heart kind of going. Because what we see is our non-existence. This is what has been driving these stories all this time. But now we're just going, oh, okay. So let's take a look at this. And we do. And we can see how that, how that seeing, how seeing non-existence drives that fear. You see it. It comes up. And then that fear starts to create stories. And you see the stories. And they're just peeling off one after another. And they are creating this entire facade. This is how we create the world, moment to moment. So we begin to see this. <clears throat> we notice that we are creating time through the mind. It's something that is, it's a very innocent process. But there's a thought, and then there's another thought. Memory tells us that there was a thought before, and now there's a thought now. So obviously, that one happened in the past. And this is in the future. And very, very subtly, time is created. But as we notice naked impermanence, we begin to see the timeless nature. That everything is coming into being and passing, but this timeless nature remains solid, unchanging. When we see this timeless nature, we are discovering something new. And this is what's so amazing about this process. It's, it's this incredible adventure. There's always something new. Always. It's not like it gets boring after a while because we begin to actually recognize that whatever is arising is brand new. Brand new. And so, with this recognition of the timeless nature, we begin to recognize space. We begin to recognize the quality of space that is always here. Space. The spacious nature. Timeless. In this space, if we allow ourselves to dwell with it, we begin to recognize that the space itself is what is aware. This ordinary awareness right now that you have, you're hearing this guy chattering up here, that awareness, notice, what is it? Has all this moving through it? It's space. It's aware space. It's alive. 
the sense of me, it's arising in that space, not the other way around. So in Tibetan Tantra, much of that is with emotions. And work with emotions is really the work that we do to liberate awareness from the facades, the stories of I. And when we recognize the stories of I, we begin to recognize this awareness is what has always been here, timeless, spacious, and womb-like, warm, fulfilled. Now, all of these emotions that we experience that are really the, the the, the base of our beliefs, they tend to form our perceptions, our perceptual charge of emotion is always embedded in our stories. And perceptions can, can exist as Many, many forms. I mean, all that we see when we look around us is, is perceptions. You know, we have the walls, ceiling, and the hand, body. Let's take a look at your own hand. Pull out your, one of your hands and just take a look. Of course, this is a hand. We know that. No question. But is it? Is it a hand? When we look at it, we notice that, you know, it's moving all the time, but it stays. It's still a hand. We've got that pretty well squared away. It's a hand. No matter how we look at it, it's a hand, whether it's like this, or like this, or in constant motion. It's a hand. This is an, a powerful movement of the mind. It takes what is many, many, many arisings and passings away, and it just goes, that's a hand. Period. And it's continuing in time. This is a hand. It's amazing. What holds that? deep conviction that it is a hand is an emotional sense of it needing to be that way. That this absolutely must be a hand or I'm not going to feel right. And as we start to work with those emotions, actually begin to see their energetic nature arising and passing moment to moment we begin to actually be able to look at this and recognize the nameless essence of what this is. It has no name. Look around the room. Look at your friends. 
These are all stories. There is something so much more real here. Your own sense of me is masking perfection. Our story of I hides away our purity, our our actuality, which is timeless, primordial. So this process of, of looking at phenomena and seeing their nature is a practice issue. It, I mean, not for everyone. Some people, they get it just like this. But for most of us, we need to take up a committed practice and really allow ourselves to examine phenomena nakedly. And much of this process really is an emotional based process. And if we cut ourselves off from the heart as we look, we will not actually see things as they are. Because we'll be living in our mind, in our thoughts. And our thoughts can be very slippery. If we allow our hearts to open in this process of meditation, we begin to recognize the truth of who we are. So here's a quote from the Buddha as he describes the base of his own enlightenment. He says, For having experienced as they really are the arisings of sensations and their passing away, the relishing of them, the danger in them, the enlightened one, O monks, has become detached and liberated. Now, he uses the word detachment. This is not some stoicism. The technical definition of detachment is neither grasping nor pushing away. Grasping is an emotional movement of desire. Pushing away is an emotional movement of resistance. When seeing impermanence deeply, there is no need to grasp or resist. There's no problem. Seeing the nature of impermanence transforms the way we see. It doesn't do away with all of the conventional knowledge. The conventional knowledge, though, becomes perfect as it is. We no longer are grasping and needing things to be any particular way because we see directly that it is all impermanent. It is all a perfect expression of divinity, just as it is. So, with repeated practice, ongoing practice, detachment organically shows itself. This is not a cold, dark detachment, but a release from the darkness of attachments, false belief. And as hope and fear fall away, wholeness, wholeness is revealed. Our wholeness. 
This awareness, this ordinary awareness that you have, that you experience, this is the only awareness there is. The only one. We discover this through practice. Now that sounds crazy to the mind. It's the only one. Through seeing impermanence, we begin to really experience, and sometimes for the first time, appreciation for what is. Gratitude for what is. In the Bhagavad Gita, a Hindu scripture, Krishna tells Arjuna, and he's describing giving up hope. He says, the disciplined give up the results of their acts and attain perfect peace. The undisciplined act out of desire. Attached to the results, their acts imprison them. Imprison them in what? In this story of I, in this limited box that we put ourselves in. As we begin to glimpse impermanence more and more everywhere through practice, we develop this sense of being awed by our experience. It becomes normal. It just becomes ordinary. It's like we are awed, always. There's nothing to cling to. It is all process. All is empty of self. Whatever we see, if we see a thing, we see a tree. Is it a tree? It doesn't, it's not a tree. If we gaze at the tree, we see it is moving. It is, it is alive. It is flowing, glistening, constantly changing. When we turn our head, we think that we're turning our head. When we recognize the essence of awareness, we recognize phenomena are just shifting and changing. We put labels on it to make sense out of it. It functions. It's not a problem. It's just that it's not the truth. So, what we begin to recognize at some point is that desire is fulfillment. There's nothing to be fulfilled. There is nowhere to go. And yet your life just unfolds. There is no one doing it. It is all happening by itself. It is only the stories that make you believe that you are a separate self and you have an agenda. You have things to do. But if you watch, you see it's amazing. Where do your thoughts come from? Who is having them? Really? They're just happening. They are rising and passing away in this vast space of awareness. So if we're striving to be enlightened, who cares? Who is there wanting? And just in seeing 
And this is the beauty of, of these practices, is that it's all just about seeing. It's not really about doing anything. At first, there seems to be a little effort because we have to apply ourselves because the, the conditioning is so strong to run away in thought. But after we see, after we begin to do this for a while, we begin to see that the effort is, is less and less required. It's all happening by itself. Awareness loves to express itself. And it does it in, well, all the ways that we've experienced in our life, which is lots of ways. Though this may sound wild and crazy, and sometimes I feel like, you know, when I talk, people look at me and go, uh-oh. <laughs> Maybe they're calling the guys into little white coats. And I'm going to get this guy. But... Uh, there is a I want to I want to tie this into something concrete for you. There was a um, a guy named Vaclav Havel. Anybody here heard of him before? Yeah, okay. Very interesting guy. He was a human rights activist in Czechoslovakia, a very passionate man. And a mystic of sorts. Very interesting. If you read his writings, he says some very astounding things. And I'm going to read you a quote of his. He says, Hope is a dimension of the soul, an orientation of the spirit, an orientation of the heart. Hope. It transcends the world that is immediately experienced and is anchored somewhere beyond its horizons. It is not the conviction that something will turn out well, but the certainty that something makes sense regardless of how it turns out. Now, that statement sums up everything I said today. Everything is perfect just as it is. The striving to do, to get, to resolve, to feel better is unnecessary if we are present in the immediacy of doing. Just being present with our life as it actually is, is total fulfillment. So it's interesting, this uh, love is not striving for love. Love is just in love. There's nothing to get. We're already fulfilled. So in the, I'm going to close the words of Tibetan master Kalu Rinpoche. He says, You live in illusion and the appearance of things. There is a reality. You are that reality. When you understand this, you will see that you are nothing. And being nothing, you are everything. That is all. That's all I have to say to you. Are there any questions, comments? Yes. Uh, 
why make commitments? Why uh, get married? Why would you come here at an established time and, and speak for so long? It's flowing out that way. And in practice, you see it. We are drawn in. Now we could say, well, it's is it desire. But when you get to the base of desire, you discover that it isn't my desire. It is just awareness loves to express itself. And it does it in infinite ways. And whatever is arising, whatever we experience we call desire, is just awareness expressing itself. When we ask these kinds of questions, if we just listen to the source of the question, we're informed. What is driving the question? Does that help? Um, there's still a disparity, um, as there probably will be for a while, uh, in between the idea that you would make a commitment for an extended period of time or perhaps the rest of your life while knowing, or at least having an inkling, that you don't exist. The commitment is not for some other time. I mean, that may be, you know, you plan for the future and learn from the past, but... The commitment is to be present now, prior to conventional commitment. We have just the basic commitment of being present, and then through that, all of these other things will will show themselves, and they will make more sense to you. So, work with that. Somebody else? Yes, Pat. Um, and those of us who have been following this path for, you know, some years, uh, that have heard and believe, and, you know, do the meditation, do the practice, and do it pretty faithfully, and, uh, you know, no, knowing that there is no real self, just an awareness, but don't get it, what, it gets confusing as to what part of this am I doing wrong, that I'm not getting it, or am I, is there some of my eye left that I... Don't, I, I don't know which part of that's left that I can work on because it's not I'm not getting it and it, it becomes very confusing yes. I mean, it doesn't make me stop the practice but and I know that is that like too much desire to want it too bad I go through things like uh oh am I am I grasping that too much or oh, I don't want to push it away it's, it's, it's confusing so so when when I hear that last little part it sounds like you're you're kind of moving into discursive mode. When we observe and when we do meditation, we reach a point, and sometimes it's 20 years for a person, sometimes it's, you know, six weeks. Everybody's different, and we all have our own path. We all have our own structures that we have to work with. Some people have a lot of things, and it seems to take longer. This whole business, though, of, of awareness at some point, breaks into another mode. It's like we. It's like I'm looking for a long time. It's me. Gee, what am I doing wrong? Eventually, there there arises an awareness that is just a pure witness. It's not me looking. It's just. It's just a basic awareness, and it notices the little me going. 
what am I doing wrong? I mean, I really want to get, I really want this to work more. I've been practicing a long time, and I should be getting, you know, I should, things should be working out better. But this... Whining. Right. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> it's funny because this, this witness is watching that whole process. So after a while, we start to witness the whole story of I playing out. We'll see ourselves, you know, whining or whatever. We're watching this process. We're seeing it. Who's seeing it? It's not me. It's just awareness. And this is, this is where the process really starts to open. You start to recognize space. Because it is the space that's looking. This, this witness turns out just to be awareness. It's aware. It's starting to show itself as something other than the sense of me and my stories. That makes sense to you? We just, you know, when you're in the midst of grappling in that way, just feel, feel, just get kind of quiet and you'll notice that this awareness is al- already and always has been aware. It's just that we haven't noticed because we're too busy spinning in our own little grasping and pushing away. So take a look at that. Yeah, yes. I don't know quite what to say exactly, but I always thought I understood some things when I heard Joseph Campbell lecture. And uh, you know, there's there's something about our phenomenon where uh, we're uh, <coughs> gene pool that's trying to survive, etc., and it's come up in a very practical way. Fires had to be built, uh, animals had to be killed, uh, food had to be taken, shelter had to be, and and all this is uh, done in a very practical, non-spiritual manner, and yet there was always this, so this is really the work of our culture. We, We absorbed our culture and we do the work of our culture. And we depend on each other for our survival. Yes. And we, uh, at the same time, are learning and creating uh, to the point where we're flying in outer space. And then at, at the same time, there's the total uh, mystery of the next level of what's going on around us. And they're, they're making that, there is a distinction between those two spaces, you know, that needs to be, you know, we need to uh, fall in love and have children and raise them and take care of them and make commitments and live in a... Uh, and this other space is uh, usually uh, the reason religion, quote, was invented was that you can't talk about the mystery except by metaphor. So the religions created the metaphors to, uh, to allow us to have a discussion. But uh, that's sort of what so, was there a specific question there? Or? I think it was more of a statement. The stories of mankind evolving through time, they're there, they function. This is our conventional knowledge. That's why we're alive. Well, yes, we could say that, but ultimately, it is all a play of awareness. It is all awareness ordaining all of this. It's all the play of awareness expressing itself in all of these ways. I mean, we can talk about the dinosaurs, you know, we're here once, and we, we can verify, we can do you know, carbon dating, and 
We have a lot of science, and it's very, very useful. The only thing that is actually here is what is here now. And all the rest is a mystery to us. We can never know what this is that we are through the mind, through knowledge. We can discover the fact that there is nobody doing it. That does not conflict with all of these stories of conventional arisings. We can, we can see it is all very much like a dream. I remember having a dream once where I, I met this person and they took me home and I met their family and, and I got to know their kids and it was like a very complex dream. And it was like, but when I woke up in the morning, it was like, I never met any of these people before. Who were these people? Where did they come from? And so we have a story. We have the story of our history and evolution, and we have, you know, we have a very strong sense that this had to take place in order for me to be here now. But are you here now? Where are you? Who are you? What are you? And as we look, we begin to realize that all of these things, learning to build fire, you know, having wars and having babies and all of these things are all just arising as expressions and at any moment. Well, where is this morning? Where is, you know, getting up this morning? Where is that? You know, you got out of bed, you had your cup of tea. Where is it? A memory. It's a memory, exactly. And that's all it can be. It's a thought. And so as we do these practices, we begin to discover thought and emotion. And we begin then to discover their essence. And all these questions about the conventional world fall into place in a new way. We see things in a new way. We're not discounting anything. We're not denying anything. We're allowing the full thing to be here just as it is, but now we're actually seeing what it is. So, I don't know if that helps you or not. It does. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Yes? I have a question about awareness, like paying attention. Uh-huh. Uh, in the beginning stages of, say, noticing um, what's happening moment to moment, um, I've... I've I'm thinking of an example, like say being in a grocery store, and impressions are coming in sensory, you know, on all levels, visual, auditory, feeling, um, people around. So if you're working on paying attention, do you, uh, guideline-wise, I guess is what I'm asking, um, is it more helpful to just choose one certain sense or to pull back and try to get an impression of the whole happening? What we like to do when we first start doing meditation practice, it's very useful to set up a very precise practice at home using the breath and we're just returning to the breathing. We're developing a mindfulness and it's awareness of where our attention is in the moment. So it isn't like we're trying to control our attention. We're just aware of where it is. So we're in the grocery store. We're picking out fruit. 
we're not fixated on the fact that we're being mindful. We're just aware of where attention is. And so we're, we're just very present with what we're doing. The sounds arise, we become aware of the sounds arising. It's not really contrived. Does that make sense to you? What I've experienced is that it, it seems overwhelming. Like trying to pay attention, it's just focus then that you have to sort of um, go with. I work in an intensive care unit. And it's a really noisy place. There's little bells and whistles going off all the time. Mm-hmm. When I first started working in the ICU, I was playing with the idea of um, meditation. I could not get my attention on what I was doing. <coughs> After doing meditation practice for a number of years, this movement of having a scattered mind starts to settle down as we practice. We develop a stable attention and with that stable attention, then we, we're not easily distracted. And it'd be part of that, the person's nature, like some people are more monastic, like I have one friend of ours who lives in Nepal, will come back to the States because there's too many choices. It just blows them out. Somebody that's wired differently, more sensitive or less sensitive, you think that has, even if the... I mean, you've hung around and you've seen yourself before and after this, you know. Yes, we have different aptitudes. We're all different. We all have our own path. Nevertheless, as we practice mindfulness, we develop a certain, it's a certain skillfulness. Through the process of developing mindfulness, this attention becomes more in accord to its original way, prior to all of the training that we've given it. And their part's grace. Right? Yeah, yeah. So you had the thing at the yeah. at the seminar you went to, and you were before, but the grace, you can't tell when... That's right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Grace is definitely operant here. It is also true that, that uh, developing a stable attention, it makes it a lot easier for grace to operate mm-hmm. with you. So let's call off the formal part of the morning. And uh, you're welcome to stick around and have some tea until we meet again. Peace to you all.